Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Fierce Calling Podcast. I'm your host, Doris Swift. I'm talking with women who share their experiences and what they've learned. We talk about how they're taking action where their passion, compassion, and conviction intersect and how they're using their God-given gifts to impact the world for Christ. Because every woman of God has a fierce calling and everybody has a story. So let's tell them to glorify God and share what we know. And I hope this podcast inspires, encourages, and challenges other women to step out of their doubt and into their fierce calling and use their God-given gifts to impact the world. In today's episode, An Unexpected Journey of Singleness, I'm talking with my friend, Kate Hurley. Kate shares her heart and journey of prolonged singleness, but there's so much more to her story that you really need to hear. Find out all about her book, Getting Naked Later, Making Sense of the Unexpected Single Life, which isn't just about purity. It's serious, humorous, and meets the reader right where they are with just what they need. We'll also talk about her upcoming book, Prodigal Mind, Change Your Story One Thought at a Time. Don't you love that title? She writes books about what's helped her so God can use them to help others. I know what Kate has to say will inspire you, encourage you, and challenge you. So listen in while I have a chat with Kate Hurley. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fierce Calling Podcast. Today I am excited to welcome my friend Kate Hurley. She is a singer-songwriter, worship leader, writer, life coach, and teacher based out of Asheville, North Carolina. She traveled the world for 14 years sharing her music and stories, and she's written two books, Getting Naked Later, Making Sense of the Unexpected Single Life, and Prodigal Mind, Change Your Story One Thought at a Time. Love those. She's also starting a sponsorship program to teach minority low-income youth free music lessons, which is amazing. So <laughs> welcome to the show, Kate. Thanks oh, for thank you, Doris. Thank you. Yeah, I just love everything about all of the ways you're using your gifts and talents that God has given you. And, you know, he has given you so many ways to be able to minister, you know, through your music and through your books and everything. So I am going to ask you if you could share a little bit about your story and how you're taking action where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Yes, that's such a great question. I love that. Parts of my story is that I was a touring musician for about 13 years. I was with the group Enter the Worship Circle, which um, hasn't been around for about 10 years now. So older people know it, but younger people don't always know it anymore. But that was a huge blessing to be a part of that group. And I would travel, tour, I would speak and sing. I'm a songwriter, so I think I've made about six albums, I think. And I just finished a live worship album that will be out soon. So I did that for a really long time. And part of me loved it. Uh, I liked the traveling, especially to other countries. But I got a little burnt out. And I just really needed some time somewhere to be grounded and not so all over the place all the time. And so about five years ago, I started teaching music lessons. But I've also always been a writer. So um, especially when I was touring, that when I would be home and I'd have time on my hands, I would just write. And so that's how I started writing my first book, um, which is on singleness. 
Mm -hmm. and prolonged singleness where you thought you'd get married at a certain age and then it never happened. And then the last probably four years, I've been slowly working on this book about overcoming negative self-talk. So Mm -hmm. those are some of my passions. I also am really passionate about living in community. I've also taught music lessons to refugees. So I'm hoping to do that again. It's been a little bit complicated with COVID because the after-school program I was hoping to teach at is um, not running right now. But soon, hopefully, Mm -hmm. I will be teaching music lessons to low-income youth. But yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of passions in there. (laughs) Yes, that is awesome. I love what you were talking about when you were saying, you know, that you traveled and then it was time to get grounded and just take a step back and explore some of the other passions that you have, right? That continued with the music, but then you were able to reach different people doing that, you know, with your music lessons and teaching and everything. So now the book that you wrote on singleness, that originally had a different title, right? Yes. Well, it's kind of funny. It started out as a self-published book and it was called Getting Naked Later Then. But then, then the a publisher wanted it, but they, they thought the, the title might be a little too risque, so they changed it. Mm-hmm. Cupid is a procrastinator. And then five years later, they came back and said, we want to relaunch this book because we love this book so much, but we want to, t- we want to have your old title again. So <laughs> it went back to getting naked later. So it's been through three titles, really. So, Well, tell us a little bit about that book. And I know that it is about prolonged singleness. So go into that a little bit for us and tell us about it. Sure. Yes. So I'm 45. I've never been married, although it looks like I'm probably getting married this year, which is kind of a miracle. Congratulations. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. But, um, and I just, it was, it's just been a huge, huge struggle in my life. I mean, you know, we live in such a romantic centric culture. And so to navigate life, when I thought I'd be married, like most of my friends were, 25, 26, mm-hmm. and then into my 30s, into my late 30s, and then even into my 40s, it's just never happening with anybody I dated. And then also just the childlessness was very hard for me because I've, I've worked with kids my whole life. So it was, mm-hmm. it's just been one of the hardest trials in my life. There weren't a lot of good resources for people like me. You know, there, a lot of the books were either solely on purity which is a part of it but there's just so much more than just the purity or you know there's there were a lot of books on singleness that were written by married people (laughs) and there weren't a lot written by somebody like me who had struggled with being single and still was not married and so I just kind of set out to write a book that I would want to read you know something Mm -hmm. that would really even minister to my heart if I wasn't the one writing it. It's humorous and touching both. It's also very honest without being like totally depressed. You know what I mean? So yeah. so I tried not to gloss anything over and act like things were fine when it, things weren't always fine. But I also tried to have a, a sentiment of hope and trusting in God's goodness, even if we can't understand the plans he has for us. Yeah, I love that part of the story, you know, it's always a blessing to hear the struggle, but yet the hope that there is always hope. So what are some things that God has taught you during this journey? Yes, well, a lot of it was that it's okay to long and let go 
at the same time. Sometimes it's a paradox. Sometimes it's really hard to let go, but and sometimes it's hard. It, sometimes your longing is so deep that it's hard to let go. But there's kind of just this paradox where you can struggle and still trust in God. You can you can um, be honest about your feelings and still hold on to the goodness of God. And um, one one of the stories in my book that is the first thing that came to mind when you talked about that was the story of Hannah because Hannah was um, married but her husband had another wife and the wife had many children and she didn't have any and it was really hard for her you know and her husband would say well like I'm awesome like why don't you just love me and not be so longing for children but she really longed for children and so there's a scene where she goes to the temple and they think she's drunk but I think it's because she was just so full of emotion, which maybe they weren't used to seeing that at church. And that's why they wondered why she was acting so strange. Mm. But she calls out to God with so much passion and so much um, longing. And she doesn't hide how she's feeling. She's so honest with God about how she's feeling. And God, and what I love about that story is God doesn't say, why aren't you satisfied? Like, why can't you just love only me? Or why can't you just be satisfied? You have a great husband. But mm -hmm. God really hears her cry and, and it like empathizes with her. Mm -hmm. And it feels like he even is like, yes, this is hard. So he does end up giving her a son. And that son ended up being this ruler that kind of changed the way rulers did things. Before that, it was all judgment. After him, it was about prophecy. And so, like, her crying out to God with so much passion and so much honesty really was rewarded. And God had compassion on that and wasn't angry with her for the way that she felt. So, yeah. I think... Yeah, I think that's something he's taught me that it's okay for me to be real with my emotions and my struggles and that he loves me in that place. He's not angry with me there. He wants me to have joy and hope, but he also um, understands why I struggle. Mm, that is so encouraging for someone that's listening today. Those things that God taught you through this were amazing things that you're now sharing. And that's what we're called to do, you know, share our story and share how God brought us through things and, you know, that it is difficult. And thank you too for the reminder that he has empathy. He is compassionate. He does not miss our hurt and he cares about that. So that's so important. So he how does. did you get uh, now meet the gentleman that you are going to probably be marrying now? <laughs> yeah. So he, um, he goes to the home group I go to, and we didn't really even talk to each other the first year we knew each other. Mm -hmm. He was kind of quiet in, um, in group settings. There was just like some drama around his life, and I, I just thought, oh, I probably won't do that. <laughs> um, you know, but I thought he was attractive, but it was just not something I was really quite into until uh, I invited him to my birthday party, and then he started inviting me places and then once I started getting to know him and understanding where some of the drama in his life came from, mm -hmm. I just was like, this man has such a beautiful heart and he's such a strong Christian and he's such a good dad. He has four kids. They had me write uh, two new chapters to my book and what I say in the book 
I, cause I do talk about meeting him. I say that all, all these years, you know, I would often beat myself up for being too much like a sister or not flirting enough. Or when I was with a man who didn't know if he loved me or not, I was always mad at myself for being too needy. But now that Justin is in my life, I, I realized that none of those things were really true. I mean, it just wasn't the right timing. And I was desirable. I was lovely. I was beautiful. But it was just I was picking men that were not very committed or it just wasn't the right timing with any of them. It was really just beautiful to see that all those years of beating myself up, I just needed to wait and really wait on God's timing. And now, you know, it's like, oh, now I realize that I am lovable, you know, and I, I knew that to a certain extent before, mm-hmm. but I always struggled with this negative self-talk of nobody loves you once they get to know you. And now I know that's not true. It's just my picker was broken. <laughs> yes. And I love how you brought that out. Thank you for sharing that because it is an amazing testament of God's faithfulness and that those people were not who he chose for you. Right. So, you know, sometimes our waiting, of course, in the word, it says that one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is one day or whatever. But to us, it seems forever when we're waiting on something that, you know, is our heart's desire. But I, I love how you shared all of that and how it kind of unfolded sweetly. And maybe when you were least expecting it or not really looking for that, it just kind of happened which is yes <laughs> yeah it was very it's very special yeah so great well I love that you know this book it like you said it has the purity message but it is more than that because there is so much more to our complex lives and I'm so glad that you are able to share truth and hope with people and encourage them like you said sometimes it's just not God's timing it's not the right person and So we just wait on him. Because you said earlier you were learning to let things go. How did you say that? You hold on to it and also let it go? Long and let go at the same time. Yeah, that's amazing. That's precious. I love that. So, yeah. So thank you for sharing that story. I love that. It's, It's such a great, like I said, testament of God's faithfulness. And I also love how the book that you wrote after, because for years it sounds like you were struggling with that lie of insecurity and like you said self-condemnation and thinking it was all your fault and it wasn't your fault at Mm -hmm. all but you know it was just the lies that we believe and Mm -hmm. you know so this book that you now have to share that truth with people is amazing too so tell us a little bit about that book I know you've kind of touched on it already but I love the title so go ahead and tell us some more Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, again, I think I wrote this book almost as a healing balm for my own soul. I went on a solitude retreat and I just felt like God spoke to me so much about how I was kind to everyone in my life except myself. And I had been really thinking about writing another book and I realized this is what I want to write my book on. I want to write about self-compassion and also um, negative self-talk. I don't even know how the idea came to me, but basically the gist of the book is that we all have these stories that are inside of us. We, Our minds are almost like a backdrop, and then we have these stories that are written. Our parents write them, our 
peers, what we watch, what we listen to, and especially what we believe creates the story almost almost like a play in our minds. And that story that we believe is the lens that we see the world through. And then there are these different characters that play a part in this story. And the characters are kind of different personifications of this negative self-talk that we have, different forms of negative self-talk. So just a few of the characters, I won't tell you all of them, but one is the orphan. And the orphan just always has this belief that she doesn't deserve to be loved, which is shame, you know, shame. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. So the orphan intrinsically believes that she doesn't deserve to be loved. And so she struggles with being vulnerable, kind of like hides away. Some people might think she's humble, but it's really not humility. It's more like self-hatred. Um, so that's the orphan. And then there's this whole family of bullies who are these this um, negative self-talk characterization. So there's Mrs. Self-Critical. So she kind of is the one that says, oh, you look so fat. You need to lose weight or like your job performance isn't good enough. Why are you doing this like this? And then there's Mr. Fear, who's always trying to control everything and the should monster. <laughs> and I don't even know where I came up with this name, but it actually kind of works because the should monster is not even attached to a real person. It's just this, this set of societal norms that says you should be doing this, you should be doing this. And so, and it's very hungry. It's just like always wants more. It's never satisfied. Yeah. And so that's the one that struggles the most with resting because it feels like if I don't do, 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 I'll never get anywhere. Mm. And then just two more characters I'll explain. One is the comparison queen. And she is, um, I call her the queen because she puts everything in hierarchy. So she, she superhumanizes some people, like maybe pastors, for instance, where it's like she doesn't think of them as real human. It's a, she thinks they're more perfect than they actually are. Or she dehumanizes other people who are maybe di look different than her, act different than she does. And she's also always comparing her pain, like that person shouldn't be feeling sad or why am I feeling so bad about this? She compares everything, the way she looks, the way she does a job, if, if she's a good mom, all those things. She just compares, compares, compares. So that is one. And then the the most important character is the compassionate friend and so she's the one that dwells the deepest inside she's kind of the you that is you that is you the deepest part of who you are your soul or your spirit and she's the one who dwells closest with God and understands how loved she is and so the whole gist of the book is that you want to access that compassionate friend and allow her to be a mother to all the other voices the other characters Mm -hmm. and to calm them all and for her to be the strongest voice so that healing will take place with the, all the other characters. Um, and she also can listen, you know, if, if Mr. Fear comes in, she can notice it and then say, hey, Mr. Fear, why are you here right now? And then listen. So that all of that can bring a lot of healing. So it's been a very healing book for me to mm -hmm. write because I feel like my thought life and my negative self-talk has gotten so much better once I wrote this book and had these revelations from God about how to bring healing to my own mind. So it's so cool how you liken it to a play. Yeah. 
I think we've all met some of those characters, right. <laughs> you know, right. and so we're not a stranger to a lot of those. And even as you're describing it, I'm sure many of us have said, oh yeah, I know, I know that queen. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know we can relate to it. Yeah. And just like people like Brene Brown and other people have said that we do tell ourselves these stories that are not really true, or we try to second guess our own decisions or what we think because we feel like our decisions aren't valid or our voice doesn't matter or something, which is Mm. not true. And then other people, we want to make up what they're thinking too. And it's not even right. what thinking. So, right. yeah. So, so I love true. the concept. The concept of the yes. book is amazing. Prodigal mind. And it is so true and biblical that we need to take our thoughts captive and recognize when something is entering in that isn't going to be healthy for us to dwell on these crazy rabbit hole thoughts that can really take us down and, and everything. Right. Of course, you know, there's an enemy who doesn't want us to accomplish the things that God wants us to do. So right. I, yeah, that's, that's really cool. And I love how you laid that all out and it was your own experience that you were sharing. Yes. Yeah. I basically came up with the characters because they were all characters in my own mind that were saying their piece in my mind. And that yeah. that were these characters that I struggled with in my own soul. So yeah. And sometimes naming things is so helpful too. Like when you said recognizing fear, of course you call him Mr. Fear or whatever, but you know, that is good to recognize when fear comes because is it healthy? Am I experiencing fear because there's something I need to be alerted to? Is it something that's good? Or is it just, I'm just in fear, which is the fear that is not of God, which is, you know, not to be fearful, do not fear, you know, that kind of thing. Cause he tells us not to do that. Yeah. So I guess that we'll need to get the book and your story one thought at a time. So one thought at a time, that sounds amazing because we want to take things one step at a time. That's right. Yes. And so much of healing comes from when, when you become a compassionate observer Mm -hmm. of your inner landscape, Mm -hmm. not necessarily like angry, like I hate that part of myself, but like, why is that part of myself there? And, and I think a lot of healing comes when you just even just ask God, like, please help me observe when my thoughts are going downhill because what you think will so much bleed out into the way you live. And so if you can change your thoughts, you can change your actions as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And that's so good to be intentional about that and asking God to help when these thoughts come about and let him help before it all kind of goes haywire, you know, and drags us down. And like you said, it affects other people around us in the world around us and all of that. So is that actually out or will be out? Right now, um, I still have a book agent from my last book, and we are looking for a publisher. So cool. you can all pray for a publisher. He loved yeah. My book agent loved it and was so excited about it, but then we got quite a few rejection letters, and all of them said, this is so good. This is like really well written. It's a great concept, but she doesn't have enough of a following, which is kind of you know, what happens with publishers. They want you to have like a 100,000 people who know you exist. I'm like, that's a lot of people. How do I do that? So yeah, we can all pray for a publisher because I would really love for that book to get published because I, not only because I've worked hard on it, but because I really deeply believe it could help a lot of people. And that's the heart of it. And that's the true motivation, which is what is pure. You know, we're talking about purity earlier, being like purity with our bodies, but now we're talking about purity of our intentions and our soul and just wanting to help other people. 
And that's the purpose of this book. And you know what, Kate, there are way over a hundred thousand people that need to hear this story, you know, that need to read it. (laughs) So yeah. So we will all pray. I would ask that the listeners would also join us in prayer together because prayer together is a powerful thing that God will just lead you and your agent to the right publisher who's going to say yes to your project who knows and sees that it has potential. Yes, I'd be so happy if that happened. But I'll be, if, if it doesn't happen, I'll probably self-publish it. But Yeah, either way, it's getting out there. Yes, I want to <laughs> so, get it out there, yes. Yeah, so we need to keep in touch and see when that happens. And, yeah. And I also wanted to ask you too, because I, I'll just transition a little bit, although it's all very connected, um, how you were talking about the way you love intentional communities. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit more about that. That's intriguing. Yes. Being single, I really realized over the years that living in a roommate situation where I never saw them and I never ate meals together was just especially hard for me because I didn't have a blood family to eat meals with. Mm-hmm. And so over the years, I really tried to look for situations where I was living in intentional community. I worked with a group called Interchange in San Francisco that worked with homeless people. We were in an intentional community. I was with a group called New Communities in San Diego. I loved it so much to the point that I sometimes wish I could still live there, but I, because of Justin, I, I probably can never live there again. But, um, but that was about 50 people who all lived within a 10 minute walk of each other, almost all believers, but all going to different churches and having different political beliefs, all that stuff. But the, they, but they all loved God and they all came together and they were family and it was so so, so special. And I've, yeah, I've lived in intentional communities in Redding, California and Boulder. And because of COVID, I ended up in this situation with nine, nine other people. We all lived together. Most nights I cooked for everybody. And just being single, I realized I I just have to do that or else I, I'm just really unhappy if I'm in a situation where I'm eating two meals a week with people and otherwise I'm eating alone like that just doesn't work for me. So I've just really tried my whole adult life really to figure out how to be in community. Nice. And that's so intentional for you. That is encouraging as well because life can get lonely and we can, you know, maybe say, oh, I'm so lonely or pray about getting bold to look for these communities where we can gather. And that's something that's in us. We all have that longing to belong. We have that craving for God to belong to the family of God, to be included in, you know, his greater plan and to be part of something bigger outside of ourselves. And so we need that community and interaction. And I love that intentional community model and also do home churches and things like that, you know, where it just becomes a family, like a life group, like you do life together, basically, right? Yes. Yes. And that, that community in San Diego was considered a missional community which I don't know exactly the exact definition, but I think it really means that you embed in your neighborhood and you really become involved in your neighborhood Mm -hmm. and you bring the love of Christ to your community by living in community, but also finding neighbors that aren't Christians and doing everything you can to make their lives more beautiful and to bring just any way they can bring beauty there. Yeah, the one in San Diego, there was people did several different ministry within the neighborhood like Mm -hmm. um there was a halfway house that a lot of people did ministry at and then several of us including me have worked at a refugee center nearby so you know there was a lot of a lot of missional 
things going on. And then the yeah. community that I'm a part of here, there's a lot of people who are really um, have a heart for the new age community and traveling new age hippie types. So we have a lot of things that are centered around doing ministry with that those type of people. Yeah, so. that's a great definition of missional living and missional community. Yeah, and I love just everything about all of these things that God has you doing, Kate Hurley. How can my <laughs> listener connect with you? How can they find you? Yeah, so I have a website, which is just kateherley.com. It's funny, I do do a lot of different things. Like I have the music thing, and I have the lessons thing, and the writing. And so that website has my books, my CDs, and the program I'm hoping to start with low-income youth and even my music lessons, which, um, and my life coaching is all on there. But you can find my book, Getting Naked Later, Making Sense of the Unexpected Single Life on Amazon. And I just recorded the audiobook, So there is an audiobook out for that. Yeah. And then you can also just keep looking for this new book to come out. And, um, and I do, I just started a new blog. I used to have a pretty well read blog on singleness, but I decided to start a new one that has one path for singleness and one path for inner healing. There's those two categories. So if you're interested mm -hmm. in either of those, um, I just started it. So there's only one post up right now, but I will keep adding things. But that's at Restore Your Story Online. Nice. RestoreYourStory.online. And I also have a Restore Your Story Facebook group. So the purpose of that group is to bring hope and make our social networking communities a brighter place and as well as our lives. Um, I just have been trying to brainstorm ways to use social media for good things instead of yeah. there's just so much negative negativity in social media. So, and I feel like there it could be a tool used for really a good things and encouragement and love. And so it's kind of a brainstorming place to think about how to do that with, with people. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you that it's, you know, social media can be well, like that character in your book, the comparison queen, or whatever, yes, what, exactly. is that her name? Yeah, the comparison queen, yes. Yeah, or, you know, or it can be used good and to reach people, like, look at what we are going through now. We're having, you know, this worldwide pandemic and social media and Zoom and, and different other ways is how we're actually able to connect with more people and people are needing community. And so I love that you have a Facebook group that's dedicated to that. And I will put all of those links in the show notes so that Thank the you. listener find you. You're welcome. You. Well, I'm just looking forward to hearing more about what you're going to do. I love that you're using your gifts to not only share truth with adults, but you're also wanting to help low-income youth with music. Yes. Music is healing. Music is great for the mind, right? There's so many benefits with music. And so I... Uh, yeah, it's just amazing. So I will hope to have you on again. Another yes, time. yes. Yeah, yes. maybe when your book is published, right? Because it's getting published. Yes. So the second book, yes. <laughs> so it will be getting published. So we can talk more about that. And I love that. So yeah, good. I love that, Doris. Okay, friend. Well, thank you so much for being on today. It's been a great joy and a pleasure to have you. And I know that you have really encouraged a lot of listeners today. Oh, great. All right, friend. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you for listening. I hope you were inspired by what Kate had to share. God has plans for each of us. And although waiting is hard, 
God is always aware of the desires of our hearts. His timing is always worth waiting for. You can connect with Kate at kateherley.com, on Instagram at IamKateHurley, and on Facebook. Check out Kate's Restore Your Story links at RestoreYourStory.online and Restore Your Story Facebook group. I have all of those links for you in the show notes. Friend, are you ready to rise up? Get ready to be encouraged and equipped. The Christian Women Entrepreneurs Rise Up Summit is coming your way September 21st through October 11th. Whatever your business or ministry, you will benefit from this summit. It's free and online, so you can register today at www.2020riseup.com. That link is in the show notes as well. And guess what? I am a speaker at the event. God wants to equip his daughters to rise up. It makes me think about Lydia and the amazing businesswoman she was. And how about the Proverbs 31 woman? Wow, such inspiring examples that we can learn from. I hope you'll join me next time when I talk with another woman who is taking action where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, friend, have a blessed week, and I'll talk to you soon.